0: It's a real privilege to be speaking to Mark Ridler today of BDP and Mark is an award-winning international lighting designer who leads the lighting profession across BDP architects. He has over 35 years experience and is a Fellow of the Royal Society of Arts. After designing over a hundred shows he became an associate at MBLD in 1998 and joined BDP in 2003. Mark believes that collaboration is essential for great design and has recruited a vibrant team from varied backgrounds, including product designers, engineers, theatre designers and architects, effectively forging them into a winning force in international lighting design. Human interaction with architecture through the medium of light is central to his philosophy and practice. His projects are varied, covering commercial, public realm, leisure, retail, art and art galleries, transport and daylight design. Mark has won many international awards, including an Award of Merits for Princess Hay Exeter and the IALD Award of Excellence for Finsbury Avenue Square in London. Mark was named Lighting Designer of the Year at the Lighting Design Awards in 2014 and was honoured with a special recognition award from the Institute of Lighting Professionals in 2016. Mark was Vice President Architectural for the Institute of Lighting Professionals in ILP. Mark was Vice President of Architectural for the Institute of Lighting Professionals and its first Chartered Lighting Designer. He is authored the PLDA Ethics Policy and is one of the founders of the Joined Up Lighting Initiative, hosting regular seminars for industry professionals. He co-authored the BCO Guide for Office Lighting and is the founder of the Green Light Alliance, a body devoted to promoting the circular economy in lighting. In this conversation, Mark discusses the refit of the BDP office in central London.
1: It's one floor of our London office. It's predominantly used by architects. The design was done in 2001, so it, it was quite old. And it was based on a T5 fluorescent 100% indirect scheme. The architectural context is very high ceilings and windows at high level, so you get views to the sky but not direct horizontal views and when it was originally designed it was subject to quite severe ve so half the positions were put in that really would have been ideal it's also split north half and south half and the south half as borders are square and has much better daylight than the north half has narrow victorian streets with surrounding warehouse buildings so the daylight was much much worse the interior design had been reconfigured recently to accommodate changing work setting. And essentially, the lights were no longer over where they needed to be. The uniformity was pretty poor. The FM had done their best in terms of cleaning, but the reflectors of the indirect luminaires were not as good as they used to be. So you've got a horrible stripy ceiling and a poor uniformity at the deck. And we were getting complaints about people not having enough light on their task. Where there was good daylight, you kind of get away with it. But where there was bad daylight, it was just not acceptable. So we put in more infrastructure. We introduced a direct indirect scheme so that we could increase the intensity, um, but keep the same volumetric illumination so people's facial rendering was as good or better. The, the good thing about fully indirect is that you get very good vertical illumination because the light scatters everywhere so you're not getting that direct shadowing but the bad thing about it is it has that cloudy sky feel so it's very diffuse and our preference is to have a mixture of direct and indirect so that you get something kind of punch and intensity it's a more efficient way of doing it but still you get the bright skyline you still get good visual modeling of people's face vertical illumination on the walls is still so that was our preference. But we knew that as soon as you were introducing any kind of element of it, direct illumination, you were going to have to shorten the spaces between the runs of luminaires. We were using Linetic product, and it's extremely discreet. It's a very low profile. In a white environment, there's so much light going, they just kind of disappear. In terms of the architects and the architecture, they were very pleased and happy about that. The main thrust of The design was actually really, really simple. We increased the light levels to what they needed to be, which was quite a lot more light, but we didn't increase the energy use. So whilst it didn't, the the move from fluorescent to LEDs didn't save us energy, they increased the light levels without... Incurring any more electricity. And then the other thing about the original situation was that there was no lighting control at all. There were switches at final point of entry, which meant essentially it all day, every day, until the security guard wandered around at night and there was nobody there. So it could be turned off at nine, ten o'clock at night. But the whole floor would be burning if there was just a single person pulling a late one. So it was really, really inefficient. So one of the things that we introduced was a Bluetooth control system without having to run extra control you could nonetheless introduce PIR and a time clock regime and it also allowed us to dim the light level so that it was optimised but that also allowed us over some coming years as the LEDs droop to periodically raise the electricity going into the installation so that those lighting levels were maintained, So there's a lot more efficiency. You've essentially got constant illumination in there. The color rendering has improved massively. We were quite subtle and precise about the the light, slightly cooler light going up than there was going down. So it was flattering on skin tones, but you still had that kind of bright daytime impact. We didn't go the full hog Of full circadian there's so much daylight in that space that actually we felt as though the benefits of doing any daytime boost would be very minimal if anything but it would be nice to be able to turn down and then to go very warm in the evening so that was an aspiration which we couldn't really afford the the whole scheme is based on tasks illumination as well so there's desk lamps on every bench so people can tune their lighting level up if for instance if they've got visual acuity problems or they're slightly older and their their eyes just need that little bit more light so we could tune the light to a level that gained general appreciation but if particular individuals needed it boosting then there was desk lamps there for them to do that. And then there was spotlights on the track that was providing the electrical infrastructure that allowed us to highlight wall features. There's big format images of the architect's previous projects, for instance. And then there's in-ups, crits, and ongoing work that people want to share or they are particularly proud of and they want to display. So the end result was quite a simple scheme in many ways, but produced a Just a complete revolution in satisfaction with the lighting environment. Obviously, when you're doing the lighting design for your own building and for a whole bunch of architects who are essentially my clients, the pressure to get it right is quite high. You'll never hear the end of it if it's not. um, met with very great pleasure. They were very pleased with what the the result was. And, yeah, it's been very well received.
0: I understand that you were able to replace fluorescence with this new lighting scheme without any increase in the amount of power usage and is that yeah. to do with the sensors or is it to do with the technology
1: it's essentially it's three sources one is the light source just much more efficient than fluorescent second is the optics are very well engineered so that you get a really wide distribution of light for they for the given suspension height and then the glare characteristics of the of the downlight element really well controlled as well which means that you can then actually drive that a little bit harder than you would do which increases in efficiency and then the third element is control just by adding in efficient controls really makes a big difference so those three elements light source optics control
0: and when i speak to people in the property sector one of the questions they ask often is so how much more is this going to cost? Would you be able to say roughly?
1: If you were comparing this to a 600 mil flat panel lay-in ceiling solution, well, that's not an option in that space anyway, because we didn't have a 600 mil lay-in ceiling. So you can't compare it to that. You couldn't compare it to an office environment with a 3.2m ceiling, because this one was 45 meters. So what would you have done? What would have been the ersatz bargain basement solution it's difficult to think that you would do anything other than a, than some kind of suspended or track mounted solution in that space and you, I suppose you could have gone for a completely direct system I don't think it would save you that much money and the, the critical thing that the, the lighting is a minuscule part of the cost of the building and a, and, a, and a completely negligible part of the cost of your people You've actually only got to get your people working one percent better when you pay for the lighting ten times over.
0: But what's interesting is that in all the work that I'm doing at the moment, you can see that there's a split incentive very often where the person who pays for the lights don't ever see the results in terms of people being happier or that wow factor.
1: Okay, to give you an example, we did a project for Nottingham, Nottinghamshire uh, Northamptonshire county council it was a new build and it was going to be chilled beams and the office space was going to be what it was going to be we introduced the lunatic floor standing solution to that project as a value engineering option because it, for, in that situation you've still got absolutely perfect light in terms of direct indirect people energy but it stripped everything off the ceiling and it allowed the engineers to strip the cooling off the ceiling and so you didn't have any services to the ceiling at all so the, the whole thing was actually produced a much better quality of life and cost less as well now that is unusual but it's an illustration that quality doesn't always come at a capital premium and i think This is one of the contributions that design brings that if you look at the brief very carefully and you understand what the project's strategic objectives are, you frequently can come up with a a solution that is more efficient, uses less stuff, is cost neutral, energy beneficial, in terms of human, massively beneficial. But if you were just going to say, well, we're gonna do a sector generic solution. So a good fitting was gonna cost more than a bad fitting. How bad can we go? Depends what the budget is. Depends what we can get away with. Depends what minimum numbers we can hit. Nobody's gonna like it. Actually in a cat A situation, they'll probably come in and rip it all out and put something else in anyway. Just not the way to do it. And that's not capital efficient either. I can't give you, uh, oh, it only costs 10% more, because sometimes it costs 30% less, and sometimes it costs 20% more.
0: But what I'm finding is in these property chat rooms, they say, oh, that, that's gonna be more. And the, the perception that it's going to be more is a bit like having a personal shopper. They Didn't can it?
1: actually save you money sometimes. You might buy less, but <laughs> the right stuff that you can combine in different ways. Am I talking about lighting or clothes here?
0: Most people don't do this every day of the week whereas it's your trade and so it's going to make more sense for somebody to come to you and ask for your help than to go out there and try and do it on their own with catalogues.
1: And It's, it's certainly true that most of what we get involved with is owner-occupied in some shape or fashion so you're creating something for a end user And that's what generates our design anyway that's what motivates our design is a profound understanding of human needs and desires within an architectural environment so unless actually what those needs and wants of your end user that that the human within the space is going to be it's quite difficult because then it just then boils down to a, a compliance question what are the numbers what's the easiest way what's the cheapest way of getting those numbers but they tend to end up being, well, inevitably not very human, and therefore not as effective as they could be. Sure, there's enough life for you to come in and do pretty much anything, but when you want to, will that help you in a workplace environment? Will that help you attract the best staff? Is that going to create the best teams? Is that going to keep people in your organization? Is it going to communicate your brand values or your ethos? to your staff if they are just in some generic office that could be anywhere in the world, anywhere in the country, anywhere. It depends, I suppose, where you as a business are in that value chain as to how much you value the environment you provide for your staff.
0: Yeah, I would suggest that there isn't a single business that doesn't need its staff to feel valued. Because that's got to be the starting point. That's why you go into work. There's a financial transaction, but there's an emotional transaction with the company that you work
1: for. What's the uplift? I mean, we have provided architects on that floor with an exemplary lit environment. So they can just get on and do what they love to do it well without getting migraines, without getting headaches. So they can work productively and happily. They're not gold-plated. There's nothing... It's luxurious about it. There's nothing ostentatious about it. It's just good, high-quality illumination. It's the minimum they deserve. So if you were talking about reducing the cost, you'd also have to commensurately reduce the quality. And then how low do you go before your staff start noticing or complaining? It's almost impossible to attribute particular numerical impact to a single source of intervention so if the bean counters are going well show us the money then prove that well i've never been able to have the stats that, that do it but but then you don't have to do everything objectively you can do things qualitatively as well one
0: of the arguments that we make is about longevity of an installation it's
1: now got a very flexible infrastructure so you would hope that there's a lighting electrical infrastructure there that will allow for the space to be adaptable in the future and the, the dimming system with the headroom we've done quite a lot in terms of future briefing one of the things i've been heavily involved in recently is the green light alliance which is all centered around circular economy the challenge is interestingly what happens if actually the light fittings outlast what the need is and what do you do with them end of life or interestingly when they've still got quite a lot of life left in them and that's a really interesting debate that trying to grapple those kind of challenges both as designers also the supply chain and the way in which they're beginning to change the way in which they construct the products but also looking very carefully at their business models. And then also the designers being the halfway house to communicate circular economy principles to clients. Last year we did research, very apparent that product is only part of that story. The projects are really intrinsic part of that circular story because you can have a circular product, but you insert it into a non-circular project. It's not circular and that interface between CAPEX and OPEX is really critical.
0: And there's a big journey to be done there for sure.